Good morning. Wow, good to see you again. You know, the last time that I stood up here, I hadn't decided to come here, and now I'm here. So, uh, wow. Uh, yeah. You know what I should probably do is, is introduce my favorite mother-in-law and her husband, my father-in-law, Bob and Karen Rennie, uh, from uh, Overland Park, Kansas. My mother-in-law, Karen, has been with us all week. She drove out with us. We picked her up, oh my goodness, that seems like an eternity ago. <laughs> Friday, Friday night, last Friday, yeah. <laughs> I gotta watch what I say. You're, you're gonna learn really quick, I stick, I stick both my feet in my mouth at the same time. Uh, we picked her up Friday night when we drove to Kansas City, and then we drove out Saturday. Uh, stayed the night uh, at the Harris's. Uh, Mark and Ann uh, very generously put us up that night, and uh, he kept offering me beer. I could only have one. I was so tired. <laughs> and Sunday morning, of course, you saw us here, and then we, we came here, received the Lord's gifts, and then moving trucks showed up at 1030, and uh, several of you were there to help unload. Thank you very much uh, for, for helping uh, to do that. And uh, I don't even know where to start with all the meals this week. I, I, I used to be a size 38 or 40, and I went to put my pants on this morning. And uh, so thank you for all the food and the goodies that you have brought by this week. Uh, very, very generous and uh, uh, wonderful. Just thank you so much. I uh, just really appreciate the love and the care, uh, not just for me, but for my family as well. So we've just been busy unpacking all week. Um, let me just give you a few more tidbits. Boys started school on Tuesday. Um, we decided that, it, one, it would be important for them to continue the educational process they've been on, which has been in the, the Lutheran school uh, setting, uh, Missouri Synod Schools. So our older two, as you know, were in a Lutheran high school uh, in Nebraska, as well as our younger two. And so we looked around. We have a high school on the south side of Indianapolis. Uh, it's a little bit of a drive, but we live over in Royal Run. We're right by 65. The boys can just hop on the highway and get there. They started school on Tuesday, uh, so they're good, and uh, actually went to their first basketball game last night. Uh, they're still on the 10-day transfer waiver thing, so they're not playing yet, but we went and cheered them on nonetheless, and that was the home opener for that. And then our younger two boys, Mike and Mark, are going to our Shepherd Lutheran School in Avon, uh, which is probably the closest Missouri Synod school to here, and we actually visited pretty much every one. Um, now, you need to understand a couple of things. The Zionsville schools are amazing. <laughs> and so when we first looked at coming here, one of the things that I was totally amazed with as a pastor is just the quality of, of public education that is in this area. And so you are to be commended for that as well. Um, so, so that you may know, in sending our kids to Lutheran schools, one, we wanted to continue what they, they had, but, but two, and I think this is also an important part, you told me about something that you're talking about maybe doing down the road, and that's something that we're going to have to talk about now, and that's maybe starting a school here, correct? Yeah, we talked about that. And so I felt professionally it was very important for us as a family, and especially me as a senior pastor, to have some connections to the larger Missouri Synod community. Um, and so now with our kids in the other schools, getting to know the other pastors, the principals, hopefully all that will kind of pave the way. Um, so, so there you go. Any questions about that before we get going? Okay. All right. Um, let's pray, shall we? The Lord be with you. Stir up our hearts, O Lord, to make ready the way of your only begotten Son, 
that by his coming we may be enabled to serve you with pure minds. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Okay, the reason I'm up here, um, I really haven't planned a whole lot for this. I, I met with Pastor Grady on Thursday, and it was just kind of a start to look at the schedule, talk about what's going to go on this afternoon, and then I get a text or a phone call from yesterday, and he said, hey, he goes, you need to get up and just talk on Sunday and, and talk about, about some of the things that we've talked about and explain some of that, and really a lot of it is just kind of you know, prepare you for what you may see me do or not do, you know, that sort of thing. Anytime you have a pastoral transition, there, there's a different kind of pulpit presence, there's a different, you know, uh, sanctuary proper presence in terms of administration, how this pastor does things and why he does them, and, and so that you will not throw rotten fruit at me later this afternoon uh, or give me harassing telephone calls or emails, uh, Pastor Grady and I thought it would be good just to, just to kind of talk a little bit about you know, what you will see. Now, here's the thing that I love about coming into this situation, and that's kind of what made this call process a lot easier. Um, what you're going to see me kind of do and how I do it is not going to be that different from what you've had done. You also have had a whole bunch of wonderful visiting pastors that have been here, right? Um, you, you've had, uh, you know, professors from the seminary. You've seen some of these different practices. So I don't think anything that you're going to see or hear me do, you're going to go, oh, my. Where did he come from? Oh, he's from Nebraska. <laughs> okay. So, well, <laughs> Okay, so let me just kind of start, if, 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 I, if I can, I've, I've got, um, any of you have your catechisms with you? You all have it memorized, so you don't need to worry about that. Um, we're we're going to reference a few things there. Um, so so at, at the beginning of the divine service, um, one of the things I talked to Pastor Grady about is, is everything that we as pastors do, first and foremost, is to serve God's people with his gifts. Secondly, it's to teach. Okay? It's the reason we have, we have beautiful artwork and stained glass. So we, we don't reverence and, and we don't idolize these things. All these things are used to teach what we believe, uh, who God is, how he gives his gifts, his nature, uh, the story of creation, of salvation. I mean, all those things. So I like to kind of interweave as much of that as, as I can into what we're doing. So if, if, if what I'm doing, how I'm kind of walking or standing isn't really teaching something, then why do it? Just kind of be normal in that respect, okay? So at the beginning of the service, uh, so, so here comes, you know, you have a processional, whether you have the cross or not, the pastor comes up. So at the beginning of the service, um, you will see the presiding minister. Do you know what that is by chance? Oh, let me tell you. In your hymnal, okay, and this is the one beautiful thing that LSB has done a good job with, and the only reason I, I know much about this, it wasn't because I was taught this at seminary, uh, because uh, liturgics, at least at that time, were really kind of lacking. I had to learn this through study and through consultation with older, wiser pastors. If you look in your hymnal, and you don't have one in front of you, but when you get back into church, uh, late service or this afternoon, or if you have one at home, hopefully you do. Actually, you have them all in your, in your mailboxes. I love you for that. I wish I would have thought of that like 11 years ago. 
so in, in, in all of the divine services, or really all the public services that are listed for you there, you'll see these little initials off to the left side, right? So the P that you'll see actually does not stand for pastor, not historically. It stands for presiding. So the presiding pastor, the presiding minister is probably the better term. Are you ready for this? It's really simple. Is the pastor, not the coffee, the coffee's okay. Uh, is the pastor who invokes, the pastor who absolves, the pastor who normally preaches, the pastor who consecrates, and the pastor who blesses, okay? So if you look in the hymnal and you look through the divine service, you'll see P next to all of those kind of important things, okay? Now, that doesn't mean that he's more important than any other pastors that are there. It just means that that, that Sunday, it's a very orderly way He's the guy that's in charge of things. That makes sense? Doesn't matter whether he's senior, associate, assistant, retired. As long as he's ordained, he's that guy for that Sunday. Isn't that neat? That's really orderly. Okay. So when, when Pastor Grady is the presiding minister, he'll be the one that does all those things. And then instead of being the P, then I will be the A. A means assisting. That's all it is. And the assisting pastor does the other things, okay? So in, in the divine service, and even in, in the prayer offices, a little different than the prayer offices, in the divine service, there's always a flow from God down through his people, okay? And then a return of praise uh, and acknowledgement. And we're going to talk, wait for it, next Sunday the 16th. We're going to talk about the little word, amen. It's a huge word. I'm just going to give you a little... A little a little teaser <laughs> to show up for the 25th anniversary service, which <laughs> thanks for making that my first sermon. No pressure there. <laughs> so so there's, there's this flow from God to his people and, and, and back up, okay? And so that is mirrored by the way the pastors, um, the, the ordained clergy, the assistants, even you know, the acolytes, and, and that's obviously changed a little bit over the years. Anybody else that's assisting, all of that is kind of mirrored. So, with that being said, let me pick up this nice hymnal that I dropped on the floor. When you'll see the pastor come up, the first pastor in the front is the presiding minister. When you'll uh, hear me do the invocation and the confession absolution, I'll still be standing on the same level as you. I won't go up in the sanctuary proper inside of the rail. Do you know why? Pastors are sinners too. No, they are. They're not perfect. In fact, that's the one reason I didn't want to become a pastor. Because I, I had really good pastors growing up. I mean, I'm, I'm baby Missouri Synod all the way through. I actually lived down in Perry County, the Holy Land, right? Um, and, uh, oh yeah. And, uh, and that's kind of spent some time down there. Um, pastors are sinners. And so, you know, we stand with you. And, 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 and we invoke God's name, we confess our sins together, and then the presiding minister will turn around and he will do that which he is called to do. Do you know what he's called to do? Do you remember it from your catechism? It's really kind of cool. Pastors are, are kind of like, and they're really busy this time of year, UPS and FedEx delivery guys. <laughs> they really are. Their job is to, is to simply deliver the gifts. That's their vocation. So, let's see how much you know of your catechism. You ready? What is confession? Confession has 
two parts. First, that we confess our sins. We got some work to do, Pastor Grady. And second, that we receive absolution, that is forgiveness Oh, from the pastor, as from God himself. Okay. Now, I'm going to stop right here and because there's a little bit of a debate going on in our Missouri Synod about this, this whole, you know, some people say, well, only the pastor can forgive sins. Well, publicly, in the stead of Christ, that's absolutely correct. But forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those. So you're called to forgive as a Christian who? Your neighbor. Yeah, your loved one. So they're not different types of forgiveness. There's only one. And that's the forgiveness won by, you know, this guy up here? By your Lord and Savior. That's it. There's only one forgiveness. And so when you say, I forgive someone, you're saying, I believe that this guy did what? Died for my sins. And so because he now, because God in Christ has forgiven me, I can now forgive you. Now that's different from saying, oh, I've forgotten all about what you did to me and I'm totally okay with it and I'll never think about it again. Right? That, that's, that don't confuse your memory with forgiveness because forgiveness is all about Jesus. Okay? So, so just, just to kind of clear the air on that one. But publicly, the pastors are called to speak. That's their vocation. Just like if I, if I any, any doctors in here, pharmacists, lawyers, want one, two, okay. I can't write prescriptions, and, and there's certain legal things I can't enact and sign correct, and I wouldn't presume to do that. I haven't been trained. I'm not, I'm not barred. I'm not degreed, uh, credentialed for that. So that. That's all vocational talk. So, so same thing with that. I'm speaking to the choir here, aren't I? Let's move on. Okay, so when you, Luther goes through the what sins and which are these, and then the last two parts of confession absolution is what is the office of the keys? And let's see how much you remember this. The office of the keys is that special authority which Christ has given to his church. You're his church. You're his bride. Has given to his church on earth to do what? to forgive the sins of repentant sinners. So the church's main job is to do what? You ready for this? Forgive sins. Okay. Now I went through a whole, man, I told you I was baby Missouri Synod, but I got really tangled many, many years ago into the whole, I don't even know what, you can't even use nomenclature for this anymore. You know, it used to be kind of contemporary and that's not the word now, it's emergent. I don't even know what the word is. But it, it's, it's really not about the forgivenesses at all. It's, it's about you living your best life now as a Christian and you finding what's inside yourself and you getting your everything all set up and organized. And, and if you do that and you show that to God and you show that to your neighbor, then you'll just be blessed, right? And, and, and all of that, of course, negates the problem that you and I have, Right? We all stand on the same level together, right? I'm not showing you my behind. We're all standing together. We're, we're sinners. And so we're all in need of that forgiveness. Um, and so it all, it all starts with that understanding of our sinful human nature. And the church's job now is to give forgiveness. So that's the primary job. Advent Lutheran Church, what does it exist for? To give forgiveness of sins. First and foremost. From Scripture, 
Uh, and that's also what it means to be Lutheran. Now, there's a lot of other things that Advent does that you do very well. There might be some new things that we do down the road. I don't know yet. That's not written. And Jesus could return later today before I'm even installed. You know, technically, I'm not really a pastor anywhere right now. <laughs> Isn't that odd? It just feels weird. Okay. Um, so the office of the keys to forgive sins. Okay. Uh, and then the last question that Luther asks is this, what do you believe according to these words? He says, I believe when the called ministers of Christ deal with us by his divine command, and so all of this for Luther and for us as Lutherans is about what does God command? What does Jesus command? What does he, in a better word, is mandate? It's where the word Monday Thursday which has since been kind of morphed into Holy Thursday. They're both good. Uh, mandata. What has Jesus said to do? And so, as a Christian, um, which means a believer, which means literally a little Christ, because you're robed with him in your baptism, um, what does Jesus say to do? Because that's what I want to do, right? So, as a pastor, what I want to do for you, and what Pastor Grady wants to do for you as well, is simply do what Christ has said to do, Right? That's how our job should be evaluated, okay? Raise your hand if you're an elder. That's how you're to evaluate us, by the way. Are we doing what Christ has commanded to do, okay? Um, you may or may not personally like us. I mean, I, I hope you do. <laughs> you know, th there may be things we disagree on, but ultimately, you know, evaluation would be in terms of the vocational expectations, and are they doing what Christ has said to do? That's first and foremost. Preach, teach, and administer the sacraments according to Christ's word and mandate. Okay, now you're getting bored, so let's move on. I believe in the call ministers of Christ deal with us by his divine command, in particular when they exclude openly repentant sinners from the Christian congregation, absolve those who repent of their sins and want to do better. This is just as valid and certain even in heaven as if Christ our dear Lord dealt with us himself. So, who specifically is called to deal with the sinners in the church publicly? The pastors. And even exclude them. Okay? Um, which means discipline. So raise your hand if you have children. Okay? Raise your hand if you ever had to discipline those children. <laughs> okay? You may or may not have been a spanker, a timeouter. I mean, there's, there's different forms of discipline. Um, oh, you want to hear a really funny story. So 11 years ago, we get, we get up to Peace Lutheran in Hastings, and at that time, this would have been Micah, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. He's now a teenager. And uh, he would have been two, yeah, two years old. And so um, middle of the, of the service, he's acting up, right? Kids never do that in church. But that's where they need to be, and, and he's acting up, and, uh, and he, I don't know what he's doing, because I'm doing my pastor thing, and my wife, bless her heart, has had four boys in the pews now for all these years, and, uh, um, and so he's acting up, and he's screaming, and so she, she grabs him by the hand, and she's dragging him down the center aisle, right, and he's screaming, don't beat me, don't beat me. <laughs> Now, that story needs no explanation. <laughs> so it's all about forgiveness. 
Um, and so the, the pastor's job is, is, is to forgive and to do that, and also to discipline. Same thing you would do with your kids, uh, is to discipline. So, so forgiveness now comes, remember, forgiveness comes by the called servant speaking it, right? Which is why the pastor then at the beginning of the service does what? I as a called and ordained servant of the word, I forgive you all your sins, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, so that, that's really Christ. The pastor is, the, is, the, is literally the, the viva vox Christe, the living voice of Christ. So who you are listening to is really not your pastor. It, 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 it's Christ. But he's using the voice of your pastor to speak. It's his word, right? Not the pastor's word, okay? All of you are probably pretty good on that one. Um, so now as we roll through the rest of the service, so you'll see the presiding minister and those that are assisting him. The introit simply means entrance, uh, in, in, in Latin. So introit is the entrance psalm. So when the introit is being sung or spoken, that's normally when then we enter into what would be known as the sanctuary proper, which is inside the communion rail. So you see us go up there. You'll see the presiding minister will be there kind of in front of the altar up on that level. Any assisting members kind of behind him, okay? And then the pastor will then turn and face you during the salutation. And he will say, you know what he says? The Lord be with you. And you will say, now the old TLH version, Divine Service 3 is, and with thy spirit. Have you ever wondered what that meant? That's the Holy Spirit that was given to the pastor in ordination. That's exactly what it is. And with thy spirit. What the congregation is saying, we believe the Holy Spirit is here through you to do what for us? Give us forgiveness of sins. Now, that got morphed through the liturgical changes back in the 60s and 70s, and we don't have time to go into all that history some other time, to just, and also with you, okay? Which, which is, is not, not bad, but you see how some of the meaning just has gotten lost a little bit over the years with that? So, so the Holy Spirit given to the Passion Ordination for the purpose of forgiveness of sin. So that's kind of why some of that is there, and, you know, I never thought, oh, when I was little, when I was younger, and I was teenagers, boy, the church needs to change. They need to get rid of the these and the thys and the thous. And they need to be more direct in person. Now I find myself, <laughs> oh yeah, I've totally changed on that. I'm just, I, my kids think I'm an old fogey. Maybe I am. Um, let me tell you one more story. I've got a good friend back in Nebraska. His name is Bruce Bloom. Um, he was um, a Korean uh, war veteran. And uh, he, he's retired now, but he had an aptitude for languages. And so um, I'm, I can't remember how, that, how he ended up getting into, he ended up becoming an army intelligence officer. He learned Korean in the space of like a year. Um, and I don't know anything about Korean, but I've listened to him talk. And all I keep hearing is kimchi over and over again. Um, you know, and he'll, he'll sing to me in Korean on hunting trips and stuff like that. And, and, and when he's had a few too many Lutheran beverages. Um, but, but he always talks about in Korean. Anybody here speak Korean? You might be able to help me out. Nobody? Really? Okay. Kimchi. <laughs> he said there's three levels of language in Korean. He goes, one is the common language that, that just normal, everyday folks talk with, right? It's, hey, man, how you doing? What's up? You know, it's just kind of the regular kind of nomenclature. You just talk with that. The second level is a little more formal. It's a type of language and address that you would use in the workplace, 
or perhaps at a Christmas dinner, you know, when grandma or mom puts out the fine china and everybody's dressed up, which you never do in your own house, but you're all dressed up and you got your glass of wine and you're being prim and proper and your pinky is trying to stick out and you're like, I don't want to go too much, you know, but you're, you're you know, it's that high, next higher level. There's a third level of language in Korean and he never learned it. He learned the first level, which was common Korean, and the second level, which was kind of like business and formal Korean. But then he went to a, he was Missouri Standard Lutheran, he went to a church over there when he was in Korea. And when he got into church, he heard them using a whole different set of, of pronouns and a whole different set of, of words. And he said, the best I can describe it to you is like thee and thou and thy. And right after the service was over, he went and he asked a guy and he said, I've studied Korean. I'm a translator for the army. I know Korean pretty well. Tell me, he said, well, we only use that language in church because that's reserved for God. It's reserved for the divine. Now, I would assume there's obviously some Koreans that don't realize who the divine is, but they have a whole other level of language just for talking to the divine. Isn't that amazing? Okay, so when we step into church, we're stepping in the presence of God with the saints. That's totally different from going to the movie theater or going to Lowe's, you know, or whatever you're doing, or just kind of hanging out together, even here in this place. We're stepping in the presence of God, the saints, the angels, and so things look a little different. They sound a little different, okay? And that's okay. Uh, and so the older I've kind of gotten, I've thought, you know, let's, let's teach that. Let's teach why we do those things, why we say those things, what they mean. Um, teach those to, to our children and our children's children and next generation. Um, because I, I think we need, we need more of that as Lutherans, okay? So the pastor then, salutation then, he'll greet you. Uh, you'll, you'll return uh, greeting with that. You'll go through the rest of the service. When we get to the service of the sacrament, and you'll see this this afternoon, how much time do I have, 10, 15? Uh, 10.30? Oh, we got lots of time. So when we get to the service of the sacrament then, the presiding minister will take over at that point, Okay, so what you'll witness with me and Pastor Grady, and it's probably similar to what you saw in the past with Pastor Feeney and Pastor Grady. Um, I don't know how, how often you had two pastors at the same time on a regular basis. So I'll have to study more of your history on that one. But, but you'll see kind of the way we move. And I'm, and I'm not big, you know, prim and proper. I mean, there are like some rubrics for which direction you turn and face and and. and you know, and, and some of that's important. I'm not extremely particular about that, um, but you know, the basics of the service itself, I think, are, are the most important things to teach. So the pastor then, after the prayers of the church, uh, he will come around uh, to the altar, and, and we'll go through then the whole communion liturgy. Now, just a refresher, okay? So how many sacraments do we believe in? It's kind of a trick question, right? Two officially, right? Two that have visible elements, right? So, and, and, and remember what a sacrament is. It's something that Christ has mandated, instituted, right? So hang on to that word mandate. Oh, you'll hear me use that. You'll hear me talk about Christ's word and mandate, instituted, same thing. So baptism. So what do you get in baptism? Forgiveness of sins. 
See, I'm actually not rambling, right? So we're kind of tying this together from what we started with. So it's all about forgiveness of sins. So in baptism, you get forgiveness of sins. Now, how often do you have that forgiveness of sins? <laughs> Daily. Right? Your baptism, it's not I was baptized, it's I am baptized, right? So you live daily in your baptism. You daily die to sin and rise to new life with Christ. And at any time, you can remind yourself, I'm a baptized child of God. So Luther had these discussions all the time, and sometimes you'll see me walking through the church or around the neighborhood, and I'll just kind of be talking like this, you know. And yeah, I'm probably a little crazy, but, uh, you know, just talking to God. But you know who I also talk to? I talk to the old devil. <laughs> Leave me alone, man. Okay, I'm a baptized child of God. Okay? So when you feel like you're in the presence of evil, you're being tempted, there's three very simple things you can do. Luther teaches us quite well. The first thing is uh, invoke God's name in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You can make the sign of the cross. Making the cross in and of itself doesn't do anything. That's just, just like you would look at artwork and it would make you think of something. Okay, making the sign of the cross should just remind you of what? I'm baptized. I'm covered by Jesus. I'm, uh, his righteousness covers over all my sin. And not only that, it's also like a Superman cape. It's bulletproof. No, it is. Because baptism protects you, remember your catechism? From sin, death, and the devil. It works forgiveness of sins. You get that? You've got a protective coating on if you're baptized. So I love talking to, you know, some of our Baptist friends or people that, you know, well, I want my kid to really make the decision about being a Christian or being baptized, you know. And there's a couple of ways we can go with that. So it depends on the person. You know, we can do the whole, you know, you did not choose me, I chose you thing. Um, you know, or we could simply do, your kid's a sinner. <laughs> Secondly, if you know anything about the world, what do you see going on out there? I don't know about you, but if there was like a vaccine or something that was going to protect my kid from this, that, or the other, I'm all over that. You know, if I offered you a cure for cancer, would you, how many of you would line up and take it right now, whether you have it or not? Of course you would. And Jesus offers you the ultimate. You see that? So, so we need to emphasize those things, teach those things. They're just, just amazing. You know, you can't see them, but, but faith, remember, is not about sight. <laughs> okay? Uh, it's not about sight. Okay? Okay. So let me, i got to go over here so I remember what I was talking about. So, so in baptism, you get forgiveness of sins. Okay? Now, let's go on to the next sacrament. Oh. Communion, you get forgiveness of sins, don't you? Yeah, matter of fact, specifically, and this is one of the, one of the best section, sections um, of, of the catechism, what is the benefit of this eating and drinking? drinking? And then Luther writes, these words given and shed for you, for the forgiveness of sins, show us that in the sacrament, forgiveness of sins, life and salvation, very good, are given us through these words. For where there is forgiveness of sins, there is also life and salvation. Now, Luther employs a little bit of, of repetition here, uh, a little bit of uh, interesting use of prose, but it's all about forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. So it's forgiveness of sins. And who's the jo whose job is to bestow this forgiveness of sins publicly? 
pastor. Yeah. So baptism, obviously, anyone can baptize in emergency. Normally, publicly, it's going to be the pastor. Same thing with the Lord's Supper, right? So, so the pastors then are doing the Lord's Supper acts. So as we're studying this at my last church, and it kind of happened at my church before that, we're just studying scripture, we're studying the catechism, and, and one of the elders raises their hands and they says, oh, pastor, um, right now I'm giving out forgiveness of sins. I said, well, what do you mean? Well, I'm giving out the body and blood of Jesus. And I said, yeah, you're, you're helping me. They said, oh, no, pastor, that's what if there's somebody that's not supposed to have it? Is that on me? How do you answer that one? It's a good question. And it kind of changed how I kind of started to think about these things. And I thought, you know, I don't want my, I want my elders to like me and bring me beer, and I want them to, you know, have my back. And, and, I, and I mean, I, I want them to be men I can talk about. Any, I don't want them to be men who toss and turn at night because they're thinking about, oh, did I do something wrong? Did I commune someone I wasn't supposed to? Do you understand where we're going with this? So I know your elders help out here, and that's very normal. I've had that in every congregation. And I'm okay, elders, with that for now, but I want you to know this, okay? That since we have two pastors... We certainly need your help because we got a lot of people to commune, okay? But you don't need to hand out the, the body and blood of Jesus. Your, your pastors can do that, and you can go home and sleep well at night. Does that make sense? Okay? Um, because there will be some people, and I've had this happen before, and it's uncomfortable, but it's part of it's a mark of a good pastor. If, if there's somebody who's, you know, openly unrepentant, I've had to not commune people before, Okay? I mean, and I, I've done that. I'm just going to warn you ahead of time, because I don't, I don't want, I don't want, I don't want the Lord's Supper to be something that's bad for them. I don't want them to eat and drink unto their. It's not damnation. It's judgment. I don't want them to eat and drink that. Anybody know a uh, oh, uh, Missouri Synod pastor? He's he's now uh, with the Saints above, uh, and also Professor Dr. Ken Corby. Does that name ring a bell? Okay, maybe just one or two people in here. Um, he said that the Lord's Supper, when, when it's not uh, you know, received really in faith and with repentance, it's, it's like glass in your belly. Glass in your belly. And now I've got to tell you a story about glass. So I'm installing laundry shelves in, in my wife's you know, new laundry area. They had cabinets and and she's got hangers because we've got 20 million kids and all this stuff's got to be hung up and washed. And, um, and anyway, so I'm, I'm, I'm cutting this, this wire rack and I've got my, my little chop saw, table saw outside and I didn't have room in my garage to set it up. So I set it on the front porch and, and I'm just make, making a cut nice and easy. And, and, uh, and I, I cut the metal shelf and, and I get up and I get to go in through the front door and I said, man, did the temperature drop? That glass looks really frosted. And I get up there and I look at the glass and, and I just kind of was going to scratch some frost off it. And I did and, and it just shattered. A piece of metal <laughs> had flipped from the saw, hit the, the front, the, the, the storm door, and, and you know, just, just spider cracked, right? So it was a safety glass. 
And, uh, and of course, when, when I touched it, the whole thing just like exploded. <laughs> My mother-in-law comes running in the other room and, are you okay? You know, I was like, ah. <laughs> if I had like some red Kool-Aid or something, that would have been really good. Uh, give, the, give the poor lady a heart attack. And uh, anyway, so there was glass everywhere. So there's glass is all over the entryway and it's, 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 it's out on the patio. And anyway, I get it all vacuumed up, but... but all week then, I was kind of thinking, wow, you know, that glass, that's, that's really annoying stuff. That's not good. That's not good. You know, and I kept wanting to make sure I picked it all up. I didn't want somebody to step on it, right? And I don't think it was small enough to be a problem like on the driveway for the vehicles, but you never know. You don't want it to be bad for anybody. I don't want the Lord's Supper as a pastor to be bad for anybody. Does that make sense? Because it's good. It's good stuff. And for those that, that, have, that are repentant, that have faith, it's forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. You see that? And so that's, that's, that's an amazing thing. One of the questions I'm going to ask you is, uh, how many members do we have here? Ooh, I used the word we. <laughs> are you proud of me? <laughs> how many members do we have here? What do we got? How many? Now, give me total baptized. Six-something? Okay. Uh, we're going to round it up to seven because that sounds better. Um, so about 700 members um, and average attendance on Sunday at a service. No, actually both services. Average attendance on Sunday. Guesstimate? 300? Okay. So you're right. You're, we, you, we are, are right about... Kind of we're standard Missouri Synod, about 50%. That's, that's, that's about normal, okay? Um, so, so 300. Now, what's, what's the most you might have on a weekend? Think Christmas, think Easter's. 500? Wow. Yeah, okay. Would love to see, you know, that middle 200 kind of here on a regular basis. We know life's kind of crazy, but, but that's, that's part of the teaching and practice that we always need to work on. Um, okay, so you've got 700, 300 that, that show up, okay? Now my next question for the church staff and for the elders would be, um, how many people attend at least, say, once a month? How many attend once a month? I'm sure it's more than 300. It's probably closer to that 450 or 5 number, would be my guess. I don't know. I don't want to, don't, don't hold me to that. But I'm going to guess if you look at, you know, people who consider themselves members, um, you know, repentant, just don't make it to church for any number of reasons, okay? Now, let me ask you a question. You ready? And this is kind of what I walked through at our last church. What does our Lord Jesus, this guy up here, want people to receive every time they come to church? Whenever they come. Good answer. Very good answer. He wants them to receive forgiveness of sins. So we have it always in our baptism. We know that. We walk around with that daily. But part of the divine service is all about receiving what? What do we just read from the catechism? The Lord's body and blood. So historically, um, 
Well, let's go back to Luther. So you just came, we all came through the 500th anniversary, and you probably learned a lot you didn't know, and I, I hope so, this last year. So, you know, when Luther was uh, Knight George in the castle, when he did all his translations, and he snuck back uh, uh, to Wittenberg a few times to kind of check out things, um, and uh, long story short, he didn't like what he saw, right? What, what was going on that he didn't like? They saw especially there in what was pretty much his home church. Karlstadt had taken out what? Taken out everything. Just emptied the church. Took out the paintings, the drawings, crucifixes, just kind of emptied it completely. Okay? They also made some changes to the Lord's Supper. And you got to read some more fine print about Luther to find out about that. Long story short, he comes back out of hiding and he preaches. What was it? Uh, oh, help me out here, pastors. Was it 11 days in a row? It was 11 or 12, wasn't it? You guys are no help. <laughs> the, they're the, 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 the apostle sermons. He comes back and he, pre he has service every day for like a week and a half. I can't remember the exact number of days. And they're not used to having that many services, but he's back. And by gosh and by golly, he's going to talk about things that he thinks are going to be good for his people. Now, some people, they're probably like, oh, get this Yahoo off the stage. Sent Luther go back in hiding. You know, things were fine the way they were. But Luther's so concerned about their, their faith and their life and their salvation. We've got to talk about this stuff. And he continued to teach and preach over the course of the next three years. Okay? And, and do you know what, within three years' time, they were doing every Sunday that they were not doing at all? Receiving the Lord's body and blood. Eating and drinking forgiveness of sins. Every, every, every divine service, every Sunday, okay? Now, you have the divine service every Sunday. Thanks be to God. Do you have it every service yet? Ah, we're going to talk about that. I'm not going to force it on you because the gift should never be forced. But my simple question is, not just for you, but let's say those other 200 or 300 of your members, when they come, what does Jesus want them to receive? What do we want to give them? Any questions on that? Oh, that's Roman Catholic. <laughs> no, it's Lutheran, actually. Any questions on that one? Okay, nobody's throwing anything at me. So part of the other reason, like for the order, with the way we do things, is that this can also be done in a very timely fashion, because that's the first question people have. You won't admit it. You're like, oh, that's going to take forever. <laughs> Anybody know Pastor Jeff Cuddes, K-U-D-D-E-S, recognize the name? Just returned from missionary service in Madagascar. Um, I left him behind in Nebraska. He's a wonderful brother. He's a very dear friend of mine. He's now in Blue Hill, Nebraska, which is about 20, 25 miles south of where we were in Hastings. And uh, he has had a tough time adjusting to Nebraska. Do you know why? People don't come to church. They don't come to church. We had him preach for our Reformation service for our circuit, and he talked about how people would literally in Madagascar walk, walk for two to three hours to get to church. They wanted to hear God's word. They wanted to eat and drink the Lord's body and blood. It was so important to them. And not only that, when they got to church, there weren't enough seats for people. They'd have benches. 
I mean, there are churches there, basically just open-air churches. So just imagine with all the windows were blown out on the side, you still had a roof to protect you from the sun, and just benches, and that would be packed. But then in every windowsill, and this makes you kind of think of a, a selection from the New Testament, people sitting in the windows, and they're just, they're just listening. They just, they just want to hear about this guy. And then what his father has done through him and with the Holy Spirit for them. Their services would go on for four to five hours. Pastor Cuttis, four to five hours. Can you imagine taking a Missouri Synod member here in the United States? That's too long for me, I'll admit it. Uh, no. I mean, that's, we're like, it's, we're, right? We get to be an hour and we start doing this, right? I mean, we do, okay? Um, so... What I've tried to do, you know, the last decade or so is give the gifts, be respectful and reverent with them, but also try and do them in a timely fashion because we're North Americans. <laughs> we're not going to be here for four to five hours. So within 60 to 75 minutes, you can very easily do the full divine service and commune people and do it well, okay? Um, so that's something we'll, we'll kind of be, ch be chatting about a little bit. Uh, but I want you to understand why I'm bringing it up. Because as a pastor, what do I want for everyone who is repentant whenever they come to church? What do I want them to receive? I want them to receive forgiveness of sins. And the Lord's body and blood is the, the chief way that that forgiveness of sins comes. Okay? And that's why every divine service actually has it. <laughs> okay? And we can do a study of the early church. You've already gone through that with Dr. Just, haven't you? So you've heard some of this before. I knew you were kind of well-prepared for some of this. Um, so, and that the study on the liturgy, which was filmed here, what, what has been the, the study that I've used, uh, not only at the church I was at, but also in some other locations as well. So I didn't even realize that. That's a small world. Very good. Okay. Okay, so 10.30 you said, right? Okay, you still awake? You still with me? Okay. So, the presiding minister then, as I said, is the one who invokes, absolves, okay, um, uh, prays, if you will, in terms of, uh, you know, the prayer of the church. Uh, he's the one who normally will read the gospel. You'll see that difference noted in there. And that one, I kind of, we have, I haven't always done that particular part of the rubric, but if you look in the hymnal, those, those rubrics are there. Uh, and then the presiding minister is the one who preaches. So what I've done with my associate uh, pastors in the past is whoever the presiding minister was, he did all that. And the assistant one just did the assistant portion, which is really nice because it's like he's got the day off. He's, he says a few prayers. He gets up there. He smiles. He looks pretty. He sings loud. He's not real stressed out. The presiding minister kind of is the one doing all the major stuff. Okay. So that's probably what we'll do, which I think will make it really easy uh, for me and Pastor Grady uh, as we divide up our schedule, which we kind of already have for the next month. We've got a few little things we've got to talk about. Um, so then you'll, you'll go through the service of the sacrament. Um, you'll get to then the words of institution, uh, whether they're, and you're used to hearing them chanted uh, or sung. Um, I vary that up depending on what service we're using and what time of year it is. So... Um, you know, I, there's probably, I don't know. At my old church, when we first introduced the hymnal 11 years ago, we had a lot of people that had never heard chanting in their life. And it scared them, you know. They, they, they were like, uh, like uh, oh my goodness, 
They were like the, uh, the army in the, one of the Monty Python shows. Run away, run away, right? Uh, but what's that pastor doing? He's, he's, he's chanting. Oh, that's, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna join the local Roman Catholics and, you know, or whatever. And, and, you know, and they just they hadn't been used to it. And so, so what I had to do was just, just say, hey, this is, this is kind of highest use of the voice and, and, the, and, and, and part of the praise, but we're not going to do it all the time. You know, we're going to speak, okay? Uh, there's also some pastors who probably shouldn't chant and sing very much, and that's okay. <clears throat> I've got a best friend back in Nebraska, and I love him to death, but the boy can't carry it. He can't hold a tune. He's got, just, just, just say it, man. <laughs> and that's okay. Uh, and that, that's perfectly fine, okay? And so, and then you can decide with the organist whether the congregation sings the responses or whether you speak them. It's not, it's not a law for any of that. So you'll see me kind of varying that throughout the year. Um, I like to sing. Um, sometimes when I might normally sing, you'll hear me speak, and that's because I'm, for whatever reason, my voice or I'm not comfortable that day hitting the notes. And I'm not going to subject you to torture, okay? So, Okay. So when we get to uh, the words of our Lord, uh, the pastor then, with the elements, will face the congregation, okay? Now, I was taught at a young age by my grandma and my mom. Um, food, for me growing up, um, we didn't have a whole lot of it. You can't tell that now. And we had to, you know, the food that was fixed was, was very important, whether it was grown, whether it was harvested, uh, whether it was shot, um, you know, you, you, you take care of that food. And you fix it right, you don't waste it. When you put it on the table, what do you do with it? You eat it. That's it. Okay? And, you, and then you'd be very, if you have leftovers, those always get saved, right? So, you know, Tupperware parties are coming back, ladies. Okay? So the Lord's Supper. Uh, the first thing that Jesus says to do with this body and this blood, this bread, this wine, is to do what? Eat and drink it. Don't stick it in your pocket. Don't put it on your bedside table to ward off evil spirits. Don't hang it from your rearview mirror in your car uh, to protect you from crazy drivers on 465 or wherever you go. It's to eat and drink, period. Okay, so eat and drink it. Okay, so what I have become very accustomed to, and it's actually very simple, and my altar guild where I left loved me for it because it made their job really easy. We had a credence table like you do, with bread and wine, and enough for what we expect for everybody, okay? Before the sermon, the presiding minister, um, I would just do a rough head count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 140, okay, 140. Uh, my dad, maybe five to 10, and so I'll bring over 140, 150 pieces of bread, and I got a pretty good idea on individual cups. We'll have to figure you guys out for common cup. We were about 50-50 close to it in my last congregation. It just kept growing each year to common cuppers, um, but it's the Lord's blood, so however you want to take it, just, just make sure you take it. And so we'll bring over what we need, and we'll consecrate this bread and this wine, okay? So you will know that which bread and wine is the body and blood of Jesus? This right here. What about the stuff in the kitchen? Oh, I had a Lutheran Missouri Synod pastor once who told me the words of institution covered any bread and wine anywhere. I said, really? <laughs> well, he said that. 
And, and since they've changed their practice, and I'm grateful for that, but I had to be that kind of you know, guy that he wasn't very happy with for a while, because I just simply asked, you know, asked him a question. Because when my wife and kids went to their church, you know, they, they, they were giving out the Lord's Supper and they ran out. And so then they start pulling out bread and wine from cabinets under the altar. And the elders just start handing it out. Now, where did that bread and wine come from? Was it consecrated? Was it actually the body and blood of Jesus? I don't know. And you don't know either, do you? You see, God's not a God of doubt. He's a God of certainty. So everything that we do as pastors and as Christians should be to introduce certainty, right? So that you will know that this, this bread, this wine is the body and blood of Jesus. It's this right here. Got it? You see it? If we need more, guess what I do? Doesn't take very long. Consecrate it. Okay. Now, if you count right and you do it right, guess what? There's not many leftovers. Okay. Now, some people, uh, the, the term consumptionist, I've never heard of that one. It sounds like I drink a lot of beer. <laughs> you say I'm a consumptionist. Um, didn't people used to die from consumption, right? Uh, back in the day. Uh, so, um, so whatever's left over, the, the, the bread and the wine, the meal is over. Is it still the body and blood of Jesus? Oh, you can, you can assure me of that. How do you know that? I, no, you can't say that. You don't know for sure. I mean, when does it stop being the body and blood of Jesus? When you take it off the table? So it's left over. When does it stop being the body and blood of Jesus? The meal's over. Can you really tell me when it stops being the body and blood of Jesus? You can't. You can't tell me from Scripture anyway. You can't. That's why the longest practice has been to do what with what's left over? Because what did Jesus say to do with it? Ha! You do have a command. Do you get that? What did Jesus say to do with it? Eat and drink it. So if you are careful in your preparation, you won't have your pastors, and that's why we need elders' help sometimes, just simply eating and drinking the remains. The remains, the uh, term is called reliqué. It's just, it literally means that which remains. What is it that remains? I, if you can try and explain that to me, good luck. I've studied scripture backwards and forwards. Is it still the body and blood of Jesus? Is it just bread and wine? I don't know, but I know this. God's not a God of doubt. He's a God of certainty. So the altar guild cleaning it back in there, well, we got to separate it. What if we accidentally mix it? Then they go home feeling guilty, like the elder who communes someone. They, we don't want our altar guild to feel bad. We need volunteers, folks. <laughs> okay? I, there's just no reason to have undue guilt. Does that make sense? I'm a simple guy. I say keep it simple. So you know what? The meal's over. We, we, we finish it. Clean your plate. Okay? Now that's if you count correctly. So then the pastors that are there and maybe the elders, you know, and, and even if uh, the uh, uh, acolytes or crucifers, if they've been confirmed, normally they're not. I assume you do acolytes, crucifers up to eighth grade. Once they're confirmed, then they go sit with the adults, correct? So same thing that I've been used to. So we just simply eat and drink it. That's it. It's really simple. And it makes the altar guild really happy. Okay, that's it. Uh, I rinse out the common cup, usually just a little bit of water. Uh, that might sound gross to you, but it's Lord's body and blood. It's not going to be bad for you. So I've gotten used to it. Um, the individual cups, we just rinse those afterwards, and they're good to go. That's it.
Any questions about that? You've seen that done before, haven't you? And did you think Pastor Meyer was crazy? Okay. So that's, that's, that's what I'm going to do this afternoon. But what I want you to do is if you have questions and concerns about that, because I didn't grow up with that. I didn't grow up seeing any of this. These are all things that, that I, I learned from either watching other pastors, but more than that, just from asking simple questions of Scripture. And that's how I kind of developed in that. So I'm kind of high church, but I'm really not high church at all. I, I kind of, you know, I don't, I, don't know where, I don't know where. You just get what you get. So, um, okay. So then at the end of the service, we go through the rest of it. And, and anyway, that, that's it. Oh, I got another story. You want one more? We got time. We got five minutes, right? So I vickered uh, under uh, Reverend Clint Poppy, and people kind of even love or hate him. He's a very theological, wonderful pastoral man, had no idea who he was, and good shepherd, uh, Lincoln, Nebraska. He was a, a layman, uh, actually sold insurance, manages, manages a semi-pro baseball team, and uh, then his pastor, where he was in Nebraska, said, you need to go through the lay, the lay ministry program, which was basically taking laymen from the congregation in order to, to get them to become a pastor. Well, back then, it was a lot different from what it was. So he was licensed as a layman without you know, taking any seminary classes and without being ordained or retable katus, uh, Augsburg, uh, you know, uh, uh, four and or five, five, anyway, uh, so he, he was not publicly ordained. He was doing all the pastor stuff. His pastor, older senior pastor, had an affair. And all of a sudden, as a lay minister, he was the pastor of like a thousand-member church. He was baptizing, preaching, consecrating, burying. He was doing all the pastor stuff, never ordained. And as he kept studying Scripture, he said, this isn't right. <laughs> you know, I can read the, the, you know, uh, the, the Augsburg Confession. I can read all this other stuff. And you know, I haven't been placed into the office. You know, when I say the Lord be with you and the people say and with thy spirit, I'm saying to myself, I haven't received the spirit yet. <laughs> Not in a Pentecostal way, but I haven't been ordained. And so to his credit, he drags his family to seminary, goes to seminary and gets a degree there and then uh, comes back, gets placed in Lincoln and starts a uh, basically re, re kind of starts a church there. So I get him as, as vicarage supervisor and I remember when he came down for my vicarage placement at the seminary in St. Louis, and I picked him up to go out to coffee with him. I made sure I had my favorite contemporary worship songs on my cassette player in my Jeep, um, not knowing this guy. And it turns out, of course, he didn't like contemporary music. Um, and uh, I, I do like contemporary music, just not in the divine service. Okay, and there's some actually stuff that's pretty good. I've got a drum set in the basement. I used to, to play drums and stuff. I was in a couple of praise bands. I was the bane of a couple of pastors. But long story short, so we get there to this church, and, we, and, and I end up vickering there now, and my wife and I are there, and Malachi is the only one, the oldest in the back, who only smiles when he tells his own jokes. Um, uh, so, so he's a baby. Matthias is conceived there. We have him when we come back uh, the next year in fourth year. Uh, anyway, so we get ready to take the Lord's Supper, and we go up to the rail, and there's no wafers anywhere. Oh, no, somebody's going to hell. <laughs> there's no wafers. They had a tradition that was introduced, I don't know when, of making communion bread. And they handed us a little piece of communion bread. Oh, this tastes good. 
this is different. <laughs> and so we totally love the communion bread. So when I get done with seminary, we go down to Arkansas, where my first parish, and, uh, and, and I, uh, for my installation, I asked the elders, I said, would it be okay if my wife made the communion bread for this service since it's kind of a special service? And they're like, oh, that's so sweet. You married such a good woman. I, I know. And so she made the communion bread, and the church said, can we have this every Sunday? <laughs> and so she started, we were down in Arkansas, made the communion bread every Sunday, and just, just uh, round, uh, you know, flat bread, uh, not, uh, no yeast or anything in it. Yep, thank you, unleavened, and just cut into little squares, little pieces. And so then we move up to Nebraska, and so for my installation service there, I said, I asked the elders, I said, can we make communion bread? And they said, you can do that. <laughs> I said, yeah, my wife's been doing it for a while. Well, sure. They don't really talk like that. It's just kind of fun. Uh, and so, so she made the communion bread, and they said, can we have that every Sunday? She said, yeah. So she's been making communion bread for all my years in, in pastoral ministry. So this afternoon, um, I talked with Pastor Grady, and um, are, would, you be, would you be okay if my wife made communion bread for this service this afternoon instead of wafers? Will that offend anybody here if we do that? Okay. So now, um, I, I, do we have people with uh, gluten allergies? Do we have gluten-free wafers? So we're going to have to learn who that is. So I'm going to have to learn who that is, okay? So normally for the Lord's Supper, the last thing I'll say is that the presiding minister is the one that normally will start with the body of Jesus, and he'll be the one that will carry the body of Jesus through. The assisting minister, whoever that is, will come through with the chalice, and the elder will be holding the individual cups, okay? And then the pastor then will commune either with the chalice or hand the individual cup to the person. Okay, it's a really simple way to do it. And elders, what does that mean? You don't have to worry about? You don't have to worry about communing someone that shouldn't commune. You like that? Make it, it makes it easier. The pastors are supposed to know the people. They're supposed to know what's going on. Okay? Um, now, obviously, if they're down to one pastor with 150, 200 in a service, an elder's going to have to step up and help. Okay? Um, I would not go so far to say that it's a sin for a pastor to do that, or an elder to do that would not say that at all. So make sure you understand me. It's about practicing what we teach. Does that make sense? So you see kind of what's going on, and it's also about removing any type of doubt. Okay, and those are just little things. Okay, we're at time. Any questions? Yes, Pastor Grady. Let's not do that. Let's not upset them. Yeah. Yeah. You'll come up to communion the way you normally do. So if you're at early service, just, just rewind all that and forget you heard that. You'll come up to communion the way you normally do. There really won't be any difference the way you come up to the altar. And the only thing difference at 3 o'clock is you'll get to taste some of the communion bread. Okay? And then um, if anybody's opposed to that, I mean, then... You know, just let, let me know. So if you want to do that on special occasions, uh, if you want to do that down the road, um, that's fine too. Okay? Good, good? Anything else? And now you're like, wow, he is here. <laughs> We're not sure about this. Okay. Let's uh, stand and close with the Lord's Prayer.
The Lord be with you. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. One more thing. You ever been on an airplane? And you go on an airplane, the stewardess comes out, and she says, if the cabin loses pressure, there will be a mask that falls from the ceiling. The secret compartment, right? Don't try and open that on your own, by the way. And what should you do with that mask? No, oh, no, 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 no. You put the mask on yourself first so that you can do what? Help others. So in the communion rubrics, did you know this? In our altar guild or in our altar book, that's the big, big fat book that tells us what to do as pastors. It says when we start the Lord's Supper, the pastor is supposed to do what? Put his mask on first. So you're going to see me do that this afternoon. I'm going to put my mask on first. I'm going to receive the Lord's body and blood. And then I'm going to commune the assisting pastors and elders. I like to do this. I would like you guys that are serving, you come up with your families. If you're helping out with communion and pastor, you don't get a chance to take communion with your wife probably very often and your daughters. So that way, at least every other Sunday or whatever it is, the assisting minister can kneel at the rail with his family and take the Lord's body and blood. So the presiding minister put his mask on, take the Lord's body and blood, and then he will do what? Commune those helping, and then all of you. It's very simple. Okay, bye-bye. Peace be with you.